Hola, welcome to Dismantling Diet Culture. Fuck being calladita, the only Spanglish anti-diet podcast that teaches you from a sociological lens, feminism, and intuitive eating coaching to dismantle diet culture. I'm your host, Dr. Hortense Jimenez, and I am passionate about dismantling diet culture and helping you heal your relationship with food and your body. I'm a mother, daughter, comadre, amiga, community member, professor, health coach, and published author. On this show, I share my personal experience with diet culture, tips and strategies, and educational content to help you understand diet culture and systems of oppression so that you can have the tools to challenge diet culture. Current and future generations do not deserve to inherit your diet culture trauma, and I'm here to help you. If you're on a mission to hear your body and food traumas and embody your authentic self unapologetic, welcome to Dismantling Diet Culture. Fuck being calladita. Your host, Dr. Hortensia Jimenez. Welcome to Dismantling Diet Culture. Fuck being calladita. I am excited, extremely excited to um, invite our next guest who I've been following on social media for some time, learned so much from her and just recently read uh, her uh, co-author chapter. Let me go ahead and introduce her. Kenyalani is a 41-year-old living in Layton, Oklahoma. She is a black and fat positive power lifter, yay, and also co-author of a new anthology called Deconstructing the Fitness Industrial Complex. How to resist, disrupt, and reclaim what it means to be fit in American culture. She currently holds a master's degree in social work and is a licensed master of social work and under clinical supervision in social work. Kainolani specializes in working with children, adolescents, and families and practices an anti-diet philosophy from a liberation framework and believe you can be active without striving for intentional weight loss. Bienvenida, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you so much. I, Like I said, I admire your work and I love the chapter that you co-authored. Before we even talk about your book, can you um, guide us in your own uh, journey with um, body image and food and what led you to be on this uh, social media platform? Background is like I, I growing up, I was a military kid, like, so we moved a lot. Um, and like, and then my father ended up, he ended up re retiring here in Oklahoma. And, um, and I always was a very, um, and I still am to an extent, um, I'm fairly introverted. And so um, making friends and things like that was always really difficult for me. Um, and so I ended up like on the receiving end of a lot of like bullying and just a lot of just violence. Um, and like I was in a larger body um, and, and so like that very much impacted, like how I saw myself, like my self image at the time. Um, and then like, I was getting, um, these type of like anti-fat views at home as well, because my parents, like, like a lot of our parents, a lot of our black and brown parents, um, you know, they don't know better. Um, they're telling us what they've been told by white supremacy that we need to look a certain way. And, you know, so, you know, I'm getting it at home, I'm getting it at school. And so that led me to, you know, um, kind of like my journey of, 
eating behaviors and kind of like developing like an eating disorder, which um, because I am a black and Hawaiian and fat person, like I was never officially diagnosed with that ever. Um, so, um, but it's something that as a clinician myself, I know um, that I had like a lot of those, um, I, I, a lot of those parts of the diagnosis, like I fit. Um, and so like that at the time, like it meant a lot of times, like I would engage in like really a, a lot of restriction, um, restriction over exercising. I did all those things, um, you know, and I had periods of time. Um, there were a lot of periods of time where like, I mean, it would have me feeling really terrible. Um, but I would continue to do it because it's like, if I could just look like everyone else, then maybe, um, I wouldn't be on the receiving end of like this violence. Um, and so for a long time, um, growing up, I was a really active kid. I liked playing sports, but I stopped playing sports. I stopped doing anything really active because I just didn't feel welcomed and because of the bullying. So like fast forward, like my life and like I, it took me a long time. Like my journey has really taken a lot of time. Um, like for a long time, I was on a quote unquote weight loss journey uh, because I was just as like knee deep into diet culture as anybody else. You know, I was still trying to get to a space where like I felt safe um, and I felt at home in my body. And, but I was still doing all those things I was doing. I was still, I mean, and that, and that went on for a long time. Um, and finally I just got sick of it. Um, I got into this situation where I ended up having to have surgery. Um, I ended up having to have back surgery. And that, I, I like to say like in a way, like that was kind of my turning point because at that point it didn't really matter what size I was because I literally just couldn't move. Like um, <laughs> I had to relearn a lot of things like relearn walking and things like that because I was just in a lot of pain. And so, you know, and, and needing to ask for help and stuff like that. And so like that kind of changed my way of thinking, like, like, why am I doing this? Like, what's wrong? Like, there's nothing wrong with me. And I started to like really dig into a lot of stuff online from just a lot of fat activists. And I just like, and real realizing like, there's actually nothing wrong with me. Like, like there are, there's this community of people of so many people that look just like me. Um, and like in that way, it's like my relationship with food has taken and still has taken time to change. Um, generally speaking, I kind of like eat what I want. Um, and, but like that has changed over time because I used to moralize like food, like things being good and bad. And now like, if it tastes good, I eat it type of thing now. Um, and if it makes me feel good, it brings me joy. Um, so um, that, and then like with, with sports, um, like I really, you know, just starting to get active and enjoying being in a gym space. Um, like I initially started like in CrossFit, um, which is, could be a very violent space for somebody who has a body like mine. And then like, I switched over to like Olympic weightlifting, like, and now I'm powerlifting, but like, I never thought I could do those things because in my mind, the way that society has 
very much said like athletes um are not supposed to look like you athletes don't look like you and I think every day like that is my thing now is that everything that society and white supremacy has told people in marginalized bodies told us that we cannot do I am bound and determined to prove them wrong and say like I can do everything that you say I can't do and so far I've done it <laughs> um, and I think that kind of actually has helped me come home to my body um, and be, be kind of neutral about it because I like I thought to myself it was like wow like I've accomplished a lot in my life being in this fat body that that society has a problem with but I've accomplished so much being just who I am and I was like so we're gonna keep going this way until the wheels fall off at this point because <laughs> apparently it's working out for me yes I love this thank you so much for sharing some of the vulnerable things uh, it, it takes courage and sometimes we can be re-triggered. So like, I don't take lightly what you shared. Um, I have a lot of gratitude for what you just shared. And if you don't mind, I would love to ask you because this is, this is, this crosses race, it crosses culture and our different communities and something that I know as a fact, right? As a sociologist, and you know this too, from lived experiences, the role that the family plays in shaping our self-concept or self-image and the detrimental impact that this has and how it leads to um, chronic dieting and eating disorders. I love how you said it because it's true. This is violent language. Not only is it violent, but there's also physical, like in cases that I've known of other people, the food traumas are violent food traumas because they're forced to eat their food, they're spanked, there's other yeah. things. Um, can you share a little bit more for, for those who are listening and are perhaps are struggling with um, parents, people that love us and care for us tend to hurt us the most. So given this lived experience of yours, how did you navigate as a child uh, and what advice do you have for people currently struggling? I think like as a child, like I, I obviously did not have good coping skills because um, nobody taught them to me. So it's like, as the t at the time, like, like food was like, that was the thing that brought me comfort. And so what I will tell parents is that's okay. Um, we have a lot of really negative um, things that be, that are said about people who use food for comfort. That is a normal thing to do. When you're in pain, you want to find something that comforts you. For some people it's music and for some people it's food. Um, and sometimes that means sometimes we eat past fullness. That's okay too. Like sometimes like that's what you need in that moment. Um, what I tell my clients is we do the best that we, we, we do the best we can with what we have until we can do better, right? So when food didn't have to be my coping skill anymore, like I found other things. I found other things that could replace it, but like, we don't learn that, like, like it's not in, in like a vacuum. We don't learn it on our own. Um, so I think the biggest thing is like, I, I had to do so much of that on my own. Like nobody could help, nobody helped me. Um, and a lot of it, I think really, um, I saw something today and just talking about like shame the shame that people put on us 
for being fat, you know, that played a big part in me not, not really talking about these things um, and really being vulnerable to the point that like I wrote that essay for the book um, because those were things that like that we talk about the things that we do in the dark like those are the things like that lived deep inside of me that no one knew about and there are the things that I didn't talk about um, because I was ashamed and the thing is I shouldn't have been ashamed because I didn't do anything wrong these things happened to me and I was just responding to this trauma that I had experienced. And so when we're dealing with children, that's the same kind of like mindset, like I would like parents to have when you're dealing with, you know, understand like your kids are most likely going through these things at, at school or outside when they're not with you. So don't be one more bully. Don't be the one more person where they're supposed to be safe and make them feel unsafe, you know, and be an example for them, right? So model for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it tends to be the family, you know, that I think this is the first time I'm going to say it in this space that they're the bullies. Uh, sometimes the parents or the tias, the aunts or the other figures, oftentimes female figures, you know, these are the first bullies that children encounter and yeah. begin to become super hyper aware of their body and what they're eating. Um, and you talk about this in, in your chapter in this book and without dwelling too much on it so that our, our listeners can go and purchase the book and read your chapter. You do say in your chapter that it, writing this chapter was healing. I can only imagine perhaps the pain and the emotions that all, the, all those feelings that came out, but you say that it was healing and that you're reclaiming, by reclaiming your story and your nar narrative, you're also reclaiming your body. That, that was powerful. Yeah, because I think for a long time, like I, I had this mindset of like these things that I've been through, like it happening to me. And, um, and I think about the things that I tell my clients and it's like, these things did happen to me, but I'm, I now I'm, I don't want to be a bystander in my life because because of all those things for a lot of my life, that's how I felt. Um, like I was just kind of like a, a bystander in my life, but it's like now, like I'm taking control and I am an active participant in my life and in my story. Um, mm -hmm. and so like, you know, and so a lot of times what that means for us is that for like our tias, our aunties, our, our uncles, our, you know, grandmas, abuelas, abuelos, like for these people that we love, it sometimes means that we have to like create boundaries, right? To protect us because we can't change them, but we can change how we interact with them. Um, and if like, they're not meaning to a lot of times, again, it's really, they just don't know better. And yes. so, so that's, that's, that's how I have to move in my life. If I want to still have contact with people is that I have to have boundaries. Yes. Yes. And I don't know about you, but growing up, um, I didn't have boundaries. I don't even have my own 
space that had no privacy yeah. so and yeah. i know that that's not an isolated case it's very common in working class immigrant mm -hmm. uh, bipoc communities as well um in this process of you reclaiming um your narrative and your story you're also taking space in the wellness space in the undieting space which um i love and you say this in your uh chapter and i i you said this also earlier when you were sharing about how um, you were dismissed with your eating disorder because of the different intersections that you embody. And this is on page 163. Um, you say, um, I was never officially diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I know now through much of my work, uh, I had one. Most of, the, um, most of the reason I was never officially diagnosed is because of the combination of weight bias and medical racism, which I now know was an issue for all my doctors and my own internalized uh, fat phobia. And a lot of people don't realize that, or they're skeptical because they don't live in larger bodies, right? And um, as a um, you know cisgender thin uh, woman of color, our job is to listen, right? Not to debate or question other people's lived experiences and what they're going through. I would love for you, if, if it's okay, to talk a little bit more um, so our audience can understand how does weight bias and, and weight discrimination in the medical field operate and did it have any impact in your life? It's so, in, it's really insidious. Um, I, I mean, I can remember um, as a child, um, being a fat child and, you know, my mother is Hawaiian and, and then my dad is black. So I remember like with my parents having been uh, military, like we would go to the hospital because I had, we didn't know at the time, but I had like undiagnosed asthma. Um, and I had like really bad allergies um, and it would get so bad. Like I couldn't breathe. I needed breathing treatments. Um, and like, I remember like my mom taking me um, as a fat child to the doctor. And like, that was what they were focused on. They were focused on me losing weight. Like they wouldn't even like allergy test me or do any of those things. Keep in mind, I found out later, like 30 some odd years later when I had my own insurance um, I found out like I had all these allergies and I had asthma. Like I didn't, like I'd been going undiagnosed for that long. And the, and, and the, the crazy thing is like that asthma is most definitely something that can kill you. This stuff got missed and it got missed because of weight bias. They were so, and it, it wasn't just on me at that time because my mother was at the time, she was also in a fat body. So they, and, and so she's a brown mother with a black child who is, and you're both fat, and they've completely ignored the real issue because they were stuck on this one. That's how um, internalized fat phobia, anti-Blackness, anti-everything operates, right? And uh, disguised as health, right? That yeah. somehow your weight is determines your health and it completely dismisses like a complete erasure of your existence and any yeah. other health um health concerns that you may have which yes. can be deadly yes and so that's why you see like in the fat community like um a lot of fat activists talking about how the ways that weight bias has 
killed numerous people because things being missed, um, people just unwilling to listen to you. Um, I have, I have very often, um, like I have had to like threaten to leave appointments, um, you know, because now um, I am very vocal and I stand up for myself. So, you know, when I go into appointments, like I let doctors know, like you will not weigh me because you have no reason to weigh me. Um, none of the medication that I'm on needs my weight. So we will not be doing this. Um, and, you know, and I just like let them know, like, that's just not something I'm okay with. And if you continue to ask me about things like that, then I will leave. Um, yes. And, but, but it shouldn't be, have to be that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, um, yes. but, but that's how it is. Like you can't get through appointments. You can't, I mean, and you see it in all parts of our life. I think at the medical end, um, that's how it is. Like, you're just not getting the care that you need for simple things. Um, but you also see it everywhere else as well. Yes. Um, right. You are not just like the medical industry, but traveling or, um, just basic stuff, right. Even going to the, to the grocery store and being shamed perhaps for the stuff that you're, you're buying. I mean, there's, I mean, our society is just embedded with so much uh, fat phobia. You know, you, I, I like how you, um, were like, no, you know, I'm going to set the terms of doctor visit. Right. So uh, people don't realize that. And I actually didn't know either by being in the, um, undieting space, I realized, oh, as a parent, I also have, uh, I can continue to protect my kids when I take them for their annual checkup and tell the doctor that it's not, um, that I don't want my kids to be weighed because I know that that's going to impact. I see how that in the past impacted my children and has impacted other relatives, but a lot of people don't know. Um, know. so what are things that individuals can do? Um, especially those who are in larger bodies, how do they, how can they advocate for themselves when they're in the, any kind of health uh, profession area? biggest thing to start with is this idea that the reason why it is so difficult to feel like you have power is because there is a power dynamic that we have with people that are doctors um, over us. Like we think that they know more than us. And what I want to tell your fat listeners are that nobody knows you like you know you. You, and this is what I tell my clients, I am not an expert on you. You're the expert. So if you move like that with doctors, that helps you because that kind of sets you up to be like, okay, I'm in control. Like this is my appointment and this is the way it's gonna go. Um, and, you know, and just, I think, that, and the biggest thing is just, sticking to your guns you know the 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 worst thing they can do is like you might have to go to go to another doctor which i know depending on what your um insurance is can be complicated like you might need another referral um and i know at least on my end um as a therapist i know how that can be um but just knowing like you can stick to your guns you can tell people that these are my boundaries. Um, even with your doctor, like these are my boundaries. We will not discuss these things. This is what I came here for. This is what I need you to do. So you can guide your appointment. I love this. This is very empowering. Um, 
And I hope that our community who's listening um, has the courage to do this because I these are not I know that <laughs> what we're saying and offering as suggestions to do are not easy, but taking the first no, step is the, is the hardest and the more that you do it and set those boundaries and set those terms of your doctor visits. Um, not saying that it will be easier, but um, might be a little bit more <laughs> less intimidating. Um, yeah, and you'll get every time that you do that, you're going to get a little bit more of your power back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't expect that. They don't, they, doctors don't want that or the health industry doesn't want that. Another no. um, another institution that I um, would love for us to talk about and that will take us to your chapter and feel free to uh, talk about your chapter is uh, the fitness industrial complex. Um, and for those who are listening and don't know what the fitness industrial complex is, I highly recommend you uh, read the book. Um, I know this as a sociologist, but I just want to definitely promote this amazing book. And you talk about how um, the fitness industrial complex has a big impact in what we are allowed to do, right? Especially in, in sports and in the gym and how those places can also be violent places. Um, that physical, like just the physical excruciating pain of the type of exercises that people have to do, the gaze, there's just so much violence, right? It can be a very toxic place for, for people in marginalized bodies, queer bodies, just different bodies. Um, tell me your journey and because you are a power lifter um and that's what attracted me also to your account because you know i've been learning so much from you as well tell me that journey and um how has it been because you say it in your book right on page 168 i am a proud fact and black power lifter yeah like it it's definitely it's definitely been a journey um, I think fitness, um, I had to make, I very much had to like have this mindset of like, cause initially I would just like, I can, I can do what they do. And the thing is I can, but with like you um, said, like excruciating exercises. So like, that's why we have like modifications. So like, Sometimes, um, I think that's a really big thing, especially if you are in a larger body, like our bodies move differently. So it's just knowing, it's knowing that, knowing that your body moves differently, working with somebody who, like if you do have a coach, working with somebody that knows that, um, and also just knowing your body well enough to know that. Um, and, and some of us, you know, may not, you know, because of like that in, internalized anti-fatness, you know, we maybe haven't gotten in touch with our bodies because, you know, the bodies can most definitely be a site of trauma. And so just remembering that as well. Um, so I think like with me, that that was a really big thing is just like knowing that like, maybe I can't do it exactly this way, but like I can do it my way and the way that works for me. Um, and because like definitely when I started especially with powerlifting at the time, I think like I was already, like I was already in, like I was at a gym already and I had been doing like Olympic weightlifting. Um, so like I was somewhat familiar with um, those moves before, um, but it's very different. Um, and 
And even in that, like you still see um, just like this toxic um, idea of the dieting and um, just like the the images we see um, and this idea of, um, I think for a lot of fat people like surveillance, which is just this idea of like feeling like when you're at the gym, like all eyes are on you because you're in this marginalized body. And so it's just being able to like navigate that. Thank you. Absolutely. You also mentioned in your chapter that, um, so one thing is like knowing and getting in tune with your body and having those modifications. And secondly is also, uh, checking out, is this a safe space for me? Is this a good gym for me? Uh, are the instructors uh, weight neutral? Um, you talk about that in your chapter, right? That you found it, it's so important to find the right fit for you. Can you talk a, a little bit about that for folks who may feel intimidated in going to the gym or just trying to figure out a, a safe space where they can do some type of movement or even be challenged in new ways without being, um, um, scrutinize without being uh, shamed, right? Because they're in a bigger body. Yeah, I definitely think like, that's, I think one of the hardest things, right? Because so many fitness professionals are so steeped in diet culture um, and just this, this un, just this unrealistic body, um, body image and body standards um, that get put on people. So I think like definitely doing like your homework and stuff, um, like researching your people in your area. Um, I've, I've found like things like social media has been really helpful um, because a lot of times, you know, there might be people doing this work in your area that maybe you don't even know about. Um, and so that helps a lot. Like if you can kind of see like what's in your area and, you know, if you can try a class for free or try a workout for free, just to like get a feeling. Um, I'm a big like vibe person because um, I am very much an empath. So I tend to like, usually like I can get like a feeling on people, whether like this is going to be okay or not. Um, and I would also, I would also pay attention to like, pay attention to like the people at the gym. Like, what do they look like? What do like, if you're, if it's important for you to, for the gym to be very diverse, pay attention to that. Like, if you know, you're going to feel safer, if there are more people that look like you, um, then most definitely look out for that. Because I think sometimes like we, people act as if those aren't important things. And they're extremely important. As we've seen, um, it is important. It's important. Your your lived experience and you being safe in a space is important. Absolutely. Uh -huh. I don't think people realize that enough or give it the credit that it deserves is checking out how that facility looks, who's in there. Um, how do you feel about uh, even having those conversations if you're gonna hire like a personal trainer or you're gonna um, go to a class, you think that folks should um, talk to them and say, hey, you know, I would appreciate a uh, weight neutral approach or, I mean, what do you recommend? I think, I think asking them, I think is great because you're going to know whether they even know what you're talking about as soon as you ask. 
you'll know because if they look at you and they don't say anything, then they probably are not familiar with what you're talking about, which would unfortunately let you know that that might not be the space for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like if they've heard nothing about, you know, health of every happy, size, happy, <laughs> weight in utero, the basic yeah, stuff people should know. <laughs> yeah, not not pushing weight loss and things like that. If they have never heard of that before, then you know that you can move on. Mm -hmm. um, I like that. Those are red flags. It is. Those are those red flags. Like you know, you know that you need, especially I would say, especially if you're new. Um, you know, if you're new to getting into the gym, um, then yeah, I think like doing your homework and making sure like, like it's a safe space for you to get back into the gym, because I know a lot of us do have like trauma from fitness spaces. And so like, you want it to be like, you want it to feel like, you know, like home. And so if it does then you know you're in the right space but if it doesn't then you could probably move on yes and i hate to say this because it happens and i'm sure that it also feels like a burden when uh you're in spaces that are not safe or spaces where you don't feel seen or um acknowledged and you have to create your own spaces and you know as a professor i always tell my students when you transfer to the university and you're the only student of color or and there's no support systems you need to create community you need to create those spaces for you and I don't like saying that because why should we have to continue to do that? But we have to, right? And and this applies to to the fitness industry complex too. If there aren't those safe spaces, find people, find a community uh, of support, perhaps someone else that can go with you to the gym, perhaps a co-conspirator that can be with yes. you in that space if that's your first step to, to go with you. Um, and if that if you can identify someone. Um, again, check on social media. Are there any groups yes. in your community? Like you don't have to do this alone. You don't. And I think that's a lot of it is that, that feeling that like, you know, I'm alone in this and that like, how am I going to do this? Like, you're not alone. Like there are people like, and I do, I have, I have people that reach out in my DMs about fitness stuff. Like they'll have questions and stuff. And I'm more than happy to answer people's questions about that because I know what that feels like. I know like walking up to spaces and having to like prepare myself to walk in um, and because I'm scared and I'm anxious. Um, so I know what that's like. Yes. Can you share with us as we wrap up our uh, interview, what, what is the work that you're doing? What are your offerings? How can our listeners support the, your, the work that you're doing? Um, so right now, um, as you kind of said in my bio, I'm, I am a therapist, I'm a therapist and social worker. Um, and so I'm doing supervision for that so that I can get like fully licensed in, in uh, clinical social work and like have my own, um, practice per se. So, um, right now, um, right now I have clients here in Oklahoma, um, once I'm fully licensed, it's only in Oklahoma right now. Um, so I do that and mostly, pretty much most of my caseload are kids and teens. Um, I have a handful of adults. Um, and then, um, and again, we it's kind of like a broad range of things that I work on with them. 
Um, and then I also like things like that, this like podcasts, um, writing articles, um, attending conferences, doing speaking engagements. Um, and I have like um, a link tree or whatever in my bio. And like, if they are interested in contacting me for any of those things, you can. Um, also, I have pay links as well. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on with me right now. Yes, and I'll make sure to link uh, your social media handles and anything else on the show notes so that people can follow and support your work. Would you like to say anything about uh, your experience in co-authoring this chapter, anything related to the book? You want to promote your chapter? I think like this has been like, this has actually been like a really amazing opportunity for me um, to like, this is like the first thing that I've had like published and so it's just been like one of many sorry to interrupt <laughs> this has been like just an amazing experience um the editors are amazing um and i just think like this book is life-changing um, my chapter is chapter 12 and it's um how my fatness helped me re reclaim my power and tell my story that's me um and then you can find it in all the places that you find books. Um, I think I have a link with that's in the link tree. It's it's a link to buy the book if y'all need to buy it, but it's it's amazing. I think everybody should have it. I think especially um, in like fitness and movement spaces, I think um, everybody should get it because I think it's just a really great way of like, that education and background on um, and the lived experience of people in marginalized bodies um, and those voices being amplified. I think like that's what makes this book so um, extraordinary and like revolutionary. Absolutely. And I'll link the book as well in the show notes. And I encourage everyone who's listening, everyone needs to read this book as well. And I'll be talking more about the fitness industry complex in future episodes. So anything else before we conclude? Anything I missed? Any last remarks? No, everything has been great. I just appreciate you for giving me this opportunity to talk about me, to talk about the book, to talk about my story. And just like, I really appreciate that for you having this safe space for um, black, brown, and indigenous people. Um, it's so important that we have um, dedicated spaces for us. Thank you so much. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> Thank you so much for trusting um, me, for trusting our community who's listening. Um, I really love and respect the work that you're doing and I can't wait to see you continuing to publish because we Thank need your voice and we need your experience. Thank you so much. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you everyone for joining me in Dismantling Diet Culture. Fuck being calladita. I will see you next week with another episode. Muchas gracias por acompañarme en Dismantling Diet Culture. Fuck being calladita podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really like it. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free 30-minute coaching session. That's right, así como escuchaste, one free session. Once you leave your review, you can screenshot it and email it to me and I'll send you a link to sign up. If you didn't like it, don't worry, así está bien. Follow me on social media, on Instagram and TikTok, at Dr. Hortensia Jimenez.